Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Hey, how are you doing? I am excited that it has not been a week since the last episode because it is part two of the interesting Iowa lottery scandal. I love this case so much. Some business to attend to before we start part two. If you want the notes to the show with the sources, you can find those on scandal101podcast.podbean.com. I will give all the social media handles at the end, as well as if you check the link tree and any of those places, That has the most up-to-date information as to where you can stream this podcast. I have it now on iHeartRadio and Amazon Music, so it's exciting that it is getting into more places. I'm recording this part shortly after recording part one, so there really hasn't been any scandals that I have seen in the news in between part one and part two recording. Um, But as always, if you have an interesting scandal for me to look at, and if you want me to cover something, go ahead and send it to the any of the social media uh, inboxes, and I'd love to take your suggestions. Before we jump into part two, I'm going to do a quick refresher on what was covered in part one. If you haven't had the chance, go back and listen to it now because there are important details that I am not going to mention in this quick summary. In part one, you were introduced to Eddie Tipton, who worked at Muscle, and he did not have a watchful eye on him while he worked at his job, and that allowed him to introduce code to predict the winning numbers of the lottery. He introduced that code into the computers that drew the numbers for the lottery, and after being found guilty by a jury, was sentenced to 10 years in prison. After his conviction, the prosecutor, named Rob Sand, had gotten a call from an anonymous person in Texas saying that Eddie's brother had won the lottery in Colorado back in 2005. The brother had gotten into an accident while Bigfoot hunting in Colorado. He tried to pay his hospital bills with consecutively marked bills. The FBI was called in to question him, and after about an hour of questioning, the FBI left. And that is where we left off in part one, and we are going to pick it right back up starting right now. Prosecutor Rob Sand and his team looked at 45,000 tickets to see if there were any connections between the winners and Eddie Tipton. They were looking at his Facebook and his LinkedIn to see if there were any connections between his social networks. And what they found was that there were six winning tickets in five states over the past 10 years. And those winning tickets were worth $24 million in jackpots. What was discovered is that the Tipton brothers targeted lottery numbers that were selected from a computer rather than a ball machine. Lottery games such as the Powerball use a ball machine. The best way I can describe it is kind of like bingo where you roll the rack and a random ball with a random number comes out. That's a ball machine versus a computer selected game where the computer randomly generates numbers and that is how the winning numbers are decided. The computer-generated games are the games that the Tipton brothers would go after, not after the random ball machines, such as the Powerball. Those five states that the tickets were found across were Iowa, Colorado, Wisconsin, Kansas, and Oklahoma, and that's from a CBS Interactive article from 2017. As was mentioned in the first part, Muscle oversees games and lotteries in over three dozen states and territories, and Eddie oversaw a lot of the computers before they were sent out. One of Eddie's connections, named Robert Rhodes, helped win a jackpot in Wisconsin. I found a couple of numbers, one worth $2 million, one worth $783,000. 
Either way, it was a large jackpot. He apparently drove around in a rental car and bought tickets across the state of Wisconsin and ended up winning that chunk of cash, whatever the amount ended up being. As I said in part one, the reason they were able to convict Eddie was because they had found a computer in storage with the code embedded in it, and that computer was from Wisconsin, and it generated the winning numbers that Robert Rhodes had used to win his jackpot. Now, I'm going to dive into some of the specifics of this code, and I'm not going to, like, read whatever the binary code is or anything like that. I'm just going to describe what it did because it is kind of complicated, but it's also important to understand so you can get a full picture of what really happened. The code that Eddie had written and installed in some of the computers did not generate numbers that Eddie had put in. So Eddie couldn't essentially be like, I want the numbers to be 3, 5, 7, 13, and 21. That's not how it worked. Instead, what it did is it made the numbers that were going to be drawn easier to predict. Now, I don't know the technical like ways that this happened, but it's important to note that it wasn't numbers that Eddie chose. The numbers were still random, but it was just easier to predict those numbers when the time was right. Now you might be wondering, what do I mean when I say when the time is right? Well, it wasn't just any day that Eddie or any of his companions or connections could go in and buy the tickets with the numbers. The numbers had to be on three specific days. It was May 27th, November 22nd or 23rd. I found both of those dates in my sources and December 29th. So one day in May, one day in November, and one day in December. Now, if that's not specific enough, the drawings also had to happen on a Wednesday or a Sunday after 8 p.m. So even though he was rigging the system, it wasn't that he could go in willy-nilly anytime he wanted. He had to go in on specific dates and specific days of the week during specific times, and then those numbers would be able to be predicted much more accurately. I couldn't find anywhere that gave a specific reason as to why it was these days. My guess is it just made it harder to narrow down and like bring it back to Eddie because if it's so spaced out like that and it's only on those specific days, I would assume that it would be hard to find the correlation, especially if it's across state lines. So what would happen is before the specific days that they were going to go in and claim the prize money, what Eddie would do is he would generate a list of numbers for him, his brother Tommy, and then Robert Rhodes to play, and the three of them would use friends to go buy the tickets and then claim the prize money so that way it was not as easy to connect it back to them. As I said in the first part, this changed their chances from 1 in 5 million to 1 in 200, so it wasn't a guarantee win, but thinking about it, you only had to play 200 different combinations of numbers and you were guaranteed to win. What ultimately brought Eddie down the first time was he just couldn't resist buying the ticket himself when that hot lotto prize was $16.5 million when it was so high. And as I said earlier, it was one of the only quick trips that happened to record both audio and video from their security footage. And again, it was his voice that got him caught. The video the video quality was really crappy, so there was not a lot of uh, confidence that it was going to be identified through video. It was his voice that had gotten him caught. And honestly, if he hadn't gone and bought the ticket himself, I don't think he would have been caught because it was his voice that got him caught. I just said caught a lot. Whoa, <laughs> rhymes. Anyways, okay, Um, where were we? 
Rob Sand and his prosecuting team had put in all this together and they went to Robert Rhodes and they got him to take a plea deal. And part of that plea deal was he was going to have to testify against Eddie and Tommy. He pled guilty to being a party in a computer crime and he was sentenced to six months of at-home confinement and he had to pay $409,000 in restitution payments. And that is from one of those Des Moines Register articles I mentioned and those will be linked out in the show notes on Podbean. Tommy, who is Eddie's brother, pled guilty to claiming the prizes with the numbers that Eddie had given him. He also, along with Eddie, pleaded guilty to felony crimes and they were both ordered to pay $2.2 million in restitution payments. Tommy was in jail for 75 days, and what came out of that was apparently Eddie didn't want his brother to be separated from his family for too long. As we learned in part one, Eddie really wanted a family, but he never had one. But Tommy did have a family, and Eddie didn't want Tommy to be away from his family in jail. I don't really know how that all worked, but it worked out to where Tommy was only in jail for 75 days. And now we get to the man himself, Eddie Tipton, the man with the voice. Eddie pleaded guilty to writing the computer code sometime between 2005 and 2006, and that code allowed him to predict the winning lottery numbers. He said that he didn't really think of it as breaking the law, but rather as a loophole, and he justified this because the state accepted the tainted code as written with the prediction method in place. I don't really think... I I don't understand this line of thinking because... You are hired to protect the integrity and, like, the security of the system, but yet you write code that interjects that security and makes it so you can have an easier chance of winning. I guess while technically it may not have been against the law, you were hired to protect the systems, and you probably should have known that that was not okay, in my opinion. Like, if I'm hired to protect something, but I figure out a loophole that makes it less protected, I should probably be like, hmm... I don't really know if that's right. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Eddie said that, quote, I wrote software that included code that allowed me to technically predict winning numbers, and I gave those numbers to other individuals who then won the lottery and shared those winnings with me. He also said, quote, I didn't think anybody was breaking the law at all by giving numbers away, but I gave the numbers away knowing someone could win, end quote. I feel like a good metaphor of that is a teacher gives out an assignment to their class and the teacher gives one person a half-written paper and expects everyone else to write the full paper. And it's like, well, the kids still wrote their paper, but they just had a little bit of a head start. And it's like, okay, but that's not fair for those other students because the person who's grading the papers or, like, who knows how the paper should be done wrote half the paper. Like, that's not fair to all those 29 other kids who have to write the full paper and start from scratch. Like, it's the same thing. This person is like, doesn't have the for sure winning numbers, but they're so much more likely to win than all those other people. That is just, that boggles my mind that Eddie thought that that was okay. Eddie said that this idea actually came to him from another coworker uh, from a conversation back in 2005. One of his coworkers named Schaller, I believe is how you pronounce it, S-C-H-A-L-L-E-R. We're going to say Schaller. He said, quote, hey, did you put your secret numbers in there, end quote? Tipped in Eddie. He responded with, what do you mean? Schaller said, well, you know, you can set numbers on any given day since you wrote the software. 
I got that information from one of those Des Moines Register articles, and at the time of the publishing of the article, which was March 15, 2018, Schaller remained an accountant for the Multi-State Lottery Association, and he wouldn't comment for the article. Like, the person who gave Eddie the idea and also suggested cheating the code still worked for muscle. Like, are you kidding me? Why, why do you have, why, why is that a thing? And also, like, if he was innocent, he could have commented and be like, I didn't say that. Eddie made that up. Eddie doesn't like me. Or he could have lied some random BS or whatever. But he didn't even deny that he said it. I feel like his silence says more than anything he could have said. Like, if he had come out and said, you know, I think I did say that. I wasn't in the right headspace and I don't think like that anymore. It's like, you know what, Schaller, you made a mistake, but thank you for being honest. But now it's like, Schaller come on. Like, are you kidding me, Schaller? Just (sighs) no thank you. At the second trial, Eddie, uh, he addressed the court and he said, quote, well, I certainly regret my actions. It's difficult even saying that with all the people I know behind me that I hurt and I regret it. I'm sorry. End quote. After saying this, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. He is currently serving his time at the Clarinda Correctional Facility in southwest Iowa and is likely to be paroled within seven years of his sentencing, which, if I'm doing my math right, should be within the next three to four years. Since Eddie has gone to prison, he has refused to do interviews even when he has been offered to be paid for the interviews, which I think is kind of interesting. Now, you're probably thinking, that was kind of short. It's ridiculous. He summed it up in 13 minutes. Well, I kind of summed up what happened to Eddie, Tommy, and Robert Rhodes, but there's a lot of aftermath that I don't think is really talked about and that I want to cover because these three men did a lot of damage and... There's not a lot being done, and I think by the end of this, you're going to be really, really frustrated just like I am. So first and foremost, the state of Iowa no longer offers hot lotto games, so that was a pretty big impact that they had that this huge lottery game is just no longer in existence. Following the Tipton's brothers' uh, criminal activity, shall we say, there were two lawsuits that were brought up against Muscle, and one of them was a class action suit and it was the Lottery Players Loss Settlement Fund. This was a case brought up by a lot of people who had bought tickets that essentially said, because Eddie hacked the system, we possibly could have won or our chances were made worse because of him, and so we should get some money because of this unfair advantage that Eddie and his brothers had. This class action suit was filed and was eventually settled. A settlement fund of $4.3 million was established to reimburse non-winners the cost of the ticket purchased on certain dates between 2005 and 2013. So I don't really know what the motivations of the people who were in this class action lawsuit were because from an outside perspective, I don't think it's very likely that you were going to get a lot of money from the suit because it's not like all of those people had the winning numbers and did it. And also the numbers were still randomly generated. So like while Eddie had a higher chance, it's not like they also had the winning numbers. I guess it was good that they were at least able to get reimbursed for the cost of their ticket because it was a little more unfair than just the normal odds of the lottery are against you. 
With a class action lawsuit, like I said, it wasn't like those people had the winning numbers, but what if you did have the winning numbers and you got a lower jackpot because Eddie or his brother or Robert Rhodes had hacked the system? I'm going to pat myself on the back for that transition because that brings us to the lawsuit of Lucky Larry against Muscle. And first of all, I just want to say Lucky Larry is an incredible name. I know that's not his real name, but Lucky Larry, like, branding 10 out of 10 a man known as lucky larry dawson so i'm assuming his real name was larry dawson sued muscle he had won nine million dollars in a jackpot and argued that if eddie had not hacked the system his prize would have been much larger because he won pretty shortly after eddie had hacked the system i couldn't find an exact date of when lucky larry dawson's jackpot was but he argued that if Eddie hadn't hacked the system, instead of his jackpot being $9 million, it would have been like 25 or $26 million. And honestly, I understand why Lucky Larry was upset. I mean, if I had won $9 million, I would be ecstatic. Ecstatic? Ecstatic? I would be super excited. I don't know how to pronounce that word correctly. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll be told and someone will be like, Hmm, the guy on the podcast doesn't know how to say all of his words. I should leave him a one-star review. <laughs> anyway, um, I would be so excited if I won $9 million, but if I found out that someone hacked the system and I could have won $25 or $26 million instead of $9 million, I would be a little upset. I would, I would probably look into ways that I could figure out if there was any possibility that I could get some of that money back because... While $9 million is a lot of money, $25 million is a whole heck of a lot more money. Lucky Larry sued Muscle for $10 million, and based on that argument that if the prize had rolled over, he would have had a lot more money. And the article that I looked at was one of those Des Moines Register articles like I talked about earlier. This article, it stated that the case was settled out of court for an undisclosed amount, which I hate. Like, I'm really nosy, and I want to know how much it was settled for, so it didn't end up actually going to trial, but it was settled, and in the article it talked about that both parties were happy with the agreement that they ended up with. That stuff is important to talk about, but it's not really why I'm so frustrated. What I'm frustrated with is the topic of the restitution payments that the brothers and Robert Rhodes were ordered to pay. As a reminder, the brothers were ordered to pay $2 million in restitution payments, which I am all for. They did criminal activity. It resulted in scamming a lot of money. Again, that money was worth $24 million, so the brothers were ordered to pay $2 million in restitution. I'm all for that. I am 100% in support of that. What I'm frustrated with is the fact that as of December 2018, and this was the most up-to-date information I could find, it was from one of those investigative Des Moines Register articles, they had paid $1,400 of that $2 million. And maybe you're thinking, well... They had to go to jail, they don't really have a lot of money, yada yada yada. No, that's where you would be wrong, and that's what I thought at first, and then I read this article, and it blew my mind with what they're getting away with. After Tommy, Eddie's brother, was released from jail and finished probation, and as a reminder, he was ordered to serve 75 days, he has done the following since getting out of jail. He has sold at least two properties 
that total more than $635,000. All of these numbers come from that Des Moines Register investigative article. He has lived in his home, which is valued at $780,000. He remained the sole owner of at least five businesses or investment properties that are worth $572,950. He continued as a joint owner with his still-imprisoned brother in at least two properties and mineral rights, and that was valued at $105,420. So you don't have to do the mental math yourself. That totals up to $2.093 million in valued property and businesses owned or co-owned or managed by Eddie's brother, Tommy. Before anyone is like, you don't support property rights, yes, I do. I am all in support of people owning property, owning houses, you know, doing what they can to be as successful as they can be as an individual. But if a court ordered you to pay $2 million because you were found guilty of committing essentially fraud or a crime, whatever you want to label it as, you need to make payments on that or you need to work your way to pay that back. And in my mind, if you have all this value in property and you've only paid $1,400 back, you are not doing your fair share to keep your end of the agreement to pay those $2 million. And as of December 2018, there has been no legal action taken to attempt to get this money. Now, I don't have a, I definitely don't have a full understanding of property law and how all that works, but I just, I can't fathom how someone can go about continuing to grow their personal wealth, but yet not pay the money back that was ordered to be paid by a court because you were found guilty by a jury of committing a crime. That that boggles my mind. And even if someone had, uh, you know, oh, it's this law and it's this bill, I my brain would still be like, okay, but you were found guilty and you didn't pay or you haven't paid and you're not paying it back. That That does not make sense to me. Now, when we look at Eddie, the state of Iowa had attempted to collect on Eddie's assets, such as his home, his vehicle, and his financial accounts. And Eddie, after learning of this, filed a motion and argued that it would interfere with his constitutional right to obtain counsel, and it would also be a deprivation of his right to property without due process. Now, I have mixed feelings on this because... I definitely don't think someone should be just ran dry of their assets and money once they go to prison because they probably earned that wealth or their money or whatever they have. But at the same time, if you're ordered to pay back money and you have assets that can be collected upon, I, in my opinion, I think there should be some kind of middle ground that you can find to where you leave them with some assets and they're still paying back the court-ordered amount that was ordered to them. Regardless of my feelings, the Polk County District Court Judge Brad McCall agreed with Eddie's claims and it was dismissed, so the state of Iowa was not allowed to collect on Eddie's assets. One thing that Rob Sand had looked into was if they could prove that Eddie had bought or managed some of his assets with the money that he had stolen, they could claim those back because the money was not rightfully his. 
Unfortunately, because the money that Eddie had claimed from his fraudulent winnings was more than a decade old, there really were not enough detailed records to prove that he had paid for his assets with the stolen money. So because of this, the state could not make a claim that Eddie had bought those assets with fraudulent money. Therefore, their last option for seizing or claiming or collecting on Eddie's assets was kind of a loss. Here are the amounts that are owed in each state as of 2018 by the brothers. As a reminder, they owe $2 million, but this is it broken down by state. In Oklahoma, the brothers owe $644,478. In Colorado, the brothers owe $1.14 million. In Kansas, the brothers owe $30,805.60. Finally, in Wisconsin, the brothers owe $409,600. Here's the part that is really frustrating. Here, as of 2018, is what the brothers own. Tommy owns a house worth more than $779,000. Eddie owns a home from prison worth $365,000. Tommy owns businesses worth more than $572,950. The brothers own two properties valued at $105,420, and Tommy has sold two properties valued around $600,000. Again, so you don't have to do the mental math, that adds up to be $2.422 million that the brothers own or have sold in assets. As of 2018, they have paid $1,400 back in their reparation payments, and they have sold or own up to about $2.422 million in assets. It doesn't take a mathematician to realize that those two numbers are not as close as they should be. And that concludes the interesting and somewhat frustrating case of the Iowa lottery scandal. I want to thank you for listening to part one and part two, and I hope you found this case as interesting as I did. Like I said, when I started this, I knew the general gist, but I didn't realize all of the specific details that went into them getting away with it, and also the frustrating ending of their reparation payments, or I guess I should say the lack of their reparation payments. I will post some pictures on all of the social media, and if you would like to follow any of those pages on Instagram, you can find us at Scandal101Podcast. On Twitter, the handle is at Scandal101Pod. We have a Facebook page if you search Scandal101Podcast. And as I said at the beginning, we have a website where you can find the show notes. That is Scandal101Podcast.Podbean.com. In all of those bios or on the website, I have a link to a link tree that has the most up-to-date information of where you can find the show, as well as the social media links as well. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you will tune in on Friday where I will be posting a new episode with a new scandal. I don't know what I'm going to be doing yet. I don't know if it's going to be a one or a two-part episode scandal look at. Wow, my brain is rubbish right now. But if you like this episode, please subscribe, follow on social media, leave a positive review. If you have something that you want to recommend for the podcast, or if there's anything that you maybe would like to see in a podcast that I'm not doing currently, send me a message on any of the social medias. I would love to hear from you. And again, I just want to thank you for tuning in. And this has been episode three of Scandal 101.